Attention, podcasts. This is Crispy Kraut of the Ox Unplugged. I declare formal bachelor upon you. I beat an entire galaxy. What is your bachelor? <laughs> well, I can only bid myself, and I'm Halion. You dare not, <laughs> my bachelor. <laughs> yes, yes, I do, because it's dumb. Also, Mace Hughes here. My fiance's looking at me like, what the fuck? Well, I bid the entire graduating class from the lager ring of 3025 Maestro here. Suddenly from Steiner Space. (laughs) We have Maestro joining us. And today we are doing a talk on Battletech, which if you know the AUX and you know the BPL, you're probably familiar with. Specifically, we're going to be coming up with ideas that we have of how we would shake up the Battletech universe or things that we might change. Yes, because there's quite a few things in canon that have been written about Battletech that people aren't uh, real happy about. Um, Oh, yeah. Jihad. 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 Hold hold that thought. Hold that thought. Um, But, yeah, we... um, Kind of been talking all week, uh, getting ideas for things we would talk about, uh, some of us more than others. But we'll uh, go and do our own thoughts of what we could do to shake Battletech up a bit. And um, I don't know who wants to start. Uh, um, I could start because <laughs> compared to what Halion said, it's like I feel like I've underprepared myself. So let's just, no, let's no, just get through well. this. Yeah, you didn't underprepare. I just overdid it. Yeah, that's that's possible. That's possible. Um, that's very possible. Yeah, I all I would say is like we need more melee weapons, like more mechanized melee weapons in Battletech. Because, mm. and correct me if I'm wrong, but there aren't a whole heck of a lot of them. Because I know that. Um, oh, what is it? The uh, the Black Knight. I know it has its machete looking little thing and then depending on the model but yeah and that that is an awesome idea i love that um so you have that then the axe man hatched man obviously the akuma but then the the akuma is a a karita mech that carries a a a katana the akuma matata (laughs) i knew there was one I knew there was one of them that carried a sword. Of I knew that. I, I think man. I think the Templar also carries a sword, but I might be I may be wrong. Uh, I yeah. believe it, to be honest. Yeah, and um, then what else is there beyond that? Like uh, trees, chainsaws. mostly chainsaws. Well, and then you have the Kodiak with its claws, which is, eh, I I I like it. From what I understand about the Kodiak, the claws are just for show. They're not meant to be melee weapons, but I could be wrong. No, you know, it plays into a clanner doctrine of not really engaging in uh, melee combat. So if it, if they are for show, it would make sense. Yeah, yeah, because it was a, yeah. cause it, one of the early clan totem mechs where you tried to build a mech chassis that resembled in, uh, around your your clan's totem animal. So it did, and, but yeah, the clanners don't really do uh, melee combat. It's dishonorable to them. Um. Now, what a bunch of nerds! What you yeah. said, mate. They, they're now. I I think you're right that they don't do a lot of standard weapons 
you know, as far as your your normal variant mechs. But in oh, Solaris, yeah. Solaris got crazy. Oh yeah, Solaris is the sky's the limit. Show like, business, baby. Yeah, like I'm imagining two chargers with their their what do you call the you know the left hand that ha that has the, the battle battle fist that's supposed to have lasers mm -hmm. in their hand. You just take those two bad boys and you weld them together in the middle in the middle of the arena, and then give give each one of them a mech sized knife and have them go at it. Okay, all right, that's that's not a half bad idea. The <laughs> the original thought that wanted me to talk about this was I um, in the original Avatar movie, the blue people one, not the Airbender one. We don't talk um, about that movie. I. <laughs> Briefly, very briefly, um, the um, the bad commander guy, I think his name is Quaritch. I, I so, think you mean the protagonist of the movie, but go on. The, I've a bit bad, whatever. So in so during his fight with that six-legged panther thing, he reaches over to grab a mech-sized K-bar knife. And I'm just like, Battletech should have more of that. Like, okay. yes, you have... Like, yes, you have laser weapons. It's like, oh, it runs forever because it doesn't use ammo. Okay. What if you don't have that? And your mech has battle fists. Like, I would want some kind of a knife on there. I like, I know it's not going to do a whole hell of a lot, but it'll do a lot yeah. more than just battle fists. I have two words for you. Rocket punch. We know that's, that's what Battletech needs is some rocket punching. Rocket punching. Yes. Go, go, yeah. Gadget Battle Fist. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh, and then, you have like a like a grappling weapon so you can uh, scorpion people. Just get over here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, with, with like a built-in winch to like you, you punch it and, and, and it just slowly winches it back yeah. over. Oh, yeah. Get like That'd real battle bots with it, like buzz saws and shit. Um, it's like a giant lawnmower blade. Oh yeah, oh, I'm kind of surprised Battletech. I'm kind of surprised Battletech doesn't have something like that. Ooh, well, would be fun too. they probably Ooh. do, just that nobody really used them before or really wrote about them. Because you have all these industrial mechs like logger mechs and hauler mechs mm -hmm. and whatnot. They have they have winches, they have bus saws, they have all kinds of uh, you know power tools as that you can employ as as, as weapons potentially. Hmm. I think it probably has more to or plays more to the fact that if you're playing the original tabletop game, you're probably trying to take your enemy down more often than not at range because yeah. once you get into close range, it's just fisticuffs anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So Pretty if you much. can take the guy down before they get in range, then it doesn't matter what kind of, you know, melee weapon he might be carrying. But I agree. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be cooler to have a, a variety. Oh, I just thought of something, Maze. The um, you brought up the the mech sized knife. Didn't uh, the original Gundam Heavy Arms had a like a, a battle knife built into its forearm that would snap up? Mm -hmm. And that's that's why that's a pretty good have, idea. Yeah, why not have something like that where you know if you let's say you do run out of ammunition or you do find yourself in in a fist of cuffs, you know you can just block you know block and then shiv the enemy mech uh, through the cockpit <laughs> oh, yeah. Him. yeah like yeah. it's a prison and you, and you wipe it off on your chest and you go back to go back to play i want to see some like improvised mech weapons like i want to see the mech equivalent of a folding chair you know 
Well, you I... you you can if you have uh, well hands on 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 your Mac, you can technically pick up anything and use it as a club. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's what I want to see. And the uh, the other thought that I had was a Charger One A One with a mech sized baseball bat charging at ninety kph into oh. and lance of something maybe like a few locusts or something and then beating the absolute brakes off of them just <laughs> it runs up and it does like um like it drags its bat and it just whips it right into the locust face and you just see it careening off into the uh into the distance uh, like the new york shop keep a special yeah like yep. a donny moment <laughs> oh yeah here's an uh, let me let me do an alternative version of that instead of a bat you have a charger running up with a mech-sized golf club, and it's just happy <laughs> Gilmore in light mechs. Bam! Oh, oh yeah, tanks, dude, tanks. Oh, tanks. oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a there's a demolisher. Now there isn't. And then, and then you have the the archer at the edge of the field, just uh, you know, shooting. What's it called in English? Uh, uh, you know, play pigeons. Yeah, that's the one. Just LM40 at, at the fucking flying demolisher. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> skeet shooting. Yeah, skeet shooting. Uh, that's the one. Hey. Oh, uh, that, there we go. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> you, mm. you just see a flying tank, and the arch is like, "All right, there it goes. Uh, Give me another one." Maze, I think you've just invented a new mechanized sport. Oh yeah, right. Next skeet shooting. I'm down. Well, I mean, instead of just Solaris, why not have, you know, full-on, you know, mech sports? The mech Winter Olympics. They don't have that. Mech yeah, hockey right. would be brutal. That's, that's awesome, though. I, I would actually watch that. I, I would. It's a, um, uh, mech MMA. That, yikes. Isn't that I mean, just that's Solaris? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just Solaris without... without Without guns, yeah. The BattleTech version <laughs> of Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now really? that now that's just uh, isn't it that that Hugh Jackman movie, Real Steel? Real Steel. That's just Rock'em Sock'em Robots, the movie. Right. That's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, pretty much, I guess. Um, I tell you what, if that know. ever became a thing, they would seriously start re uh, uh, up armoring cockpits. Yeah. Uh. LBX technically is a shotgun weapon, right? Because I kind of think mechs or mechs need more uh, shotgun type weapons. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. Yep. Okay. Yep. Just turn it. Just like give a mech like a double barrel shotgun. Just like an LBX thirty or something. <laughs> no, give it a zone off shotgun. That's what I mean. You just like give it a double barrel shotgun, so you just can doom guys shoot dudes with it. <laughs> that that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Infantry. <laughs> Hamburger helper. <laughs> I mean, since, uh, since I since I printed that yesterday, the Hauptmann uh, alternate configuration T carries two UX twenties. You can just swap them out for LBX twenties. So, oh my, you have, you have you have basically have a double barrel shotgun Hauptmann. Ooh, Love that's uh, that's going to put a lot of little holes in something. Oh yeah, or big ones. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, as for me, uh, thoughts I had for shaking up the universe, I've got a few. Um, 
I mean, one of them was, you know, more shotguns. But um, I feel like there's one uh, faction in Battletech that could probably be done better. Um, one that's not necessarily the most popular with the fan base. Uh, mm. But one that I kind of like the idea of and I think could be done more interesting in a way. Um, so the word of Blake, uh, I think that they're an interesting idea, but, you know, the part where they basically raise a Terminator army is a little ridiculous. Um, I, I think the idea of a Comstar schism and the word of Blake sort of forming their own extremist network cell would be an interesting way to do things, you know. Can, have... can you recap the Terminator thing? I didn't oh. read it. Basically, the word of Blake just pulled this army out of their ass that has, like, cyborgs and shit, and uh, they take over Terra and basically start attacking everybody. Didn't they use automated mechs? Something like, like that. They had drones, drone yeah. Oh, that's an idea. I want to see more drone mechs. But, um, anyway. Yeah, I, I think the word of Blake could be an interesting thing to add as sort of like a rogue element of Comstar. You know, I, I don't like the, the fact that they got rid of Comstar as an organization, you know. Um, I, I like the idea of Comstar, you know, the nuclear brotherhood and everything. Um, yeah. But, you know, the idea of the Blakists breaking away from them because Comstar decides to go more secular, as opposed to sticking to their techno-babble doctrine, you know, I, I could see that as an interesting way of taking it, you know. Um, I mean, not to get too Chubb Wilmer real world, but, you know, it could almost be something like ISIS, in a sense, you know. This this rogue state that is basically trying to make their own caliphate or um, territory. You know, maybe, maybe they could drive the uh, Comstar from Terra and, you know, because it's the heart of the HPD network, they sort of make it a caliphate and the other factions can't really attack it, otherwise they would just destroy the network. You know, um, which maybe they do attack and it sort of leads to the jihad uh, just being a terror, of course, but um, maybe they just sabotage the the central network of, you know, the HPG to the point where it's, you know, damaged uh, enough where it can't function. I, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I, you know, something like this would be a bigger thing to think about, but. Just, I'm trying to think of ideas that the Blake word of Blake would be more uh, interesting to the setting because I think the idea of a sort of extremist cult based on Comstar's ideals could is interesting in the setting. You know, it's just a matter Ooh. of writing it better. All I'm hearing is Crispy is a wobbly apologist. <laughs> listen, oh, come on. No, listen, I am completely Blake there. Did there. Nothing wrong. I think the idea behind Word of Blake is super interesting. In, in the fact that Comstar kind of separated its administrative technical side from the fanatical pseudo-religious side and that, that's, that schism created these two very divergent groups. Because like, I think that's a, that's a particular word of Blake by its concept is super interesting. I just think that they went stupid, crazy gonzo with in the, in the, in the series with what they did with Word of Blake. But I Do you want me to talk it. about Mech Assault 2? I will talk about Mech Assault 2. Those are not canon, <laughs> but very fun games. They are. That's what we need more of. We need more fun Battletech games. 
Why does the why does the IP have to be held in just like one hand? We should have more. I agree. Star Wars would like a word. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, let's not go there. Uh, we, but no, we yeah. Don't have to have that what would you have done differently with Word of Light, though, Crispy? What would you? How, what direction would you have taken it? See, my my idea for the word of Blake is that an organization like that, they are not going to be something that's capable of open warfare. I think that something like the word of Blake is something that would be an underground secret conspiracy with different cells, you know, spread throughout the inner sphere. They're not necessarily trying to engage anyone, but they are definitely trying to influence things based on, you know, for one thing, they took a number of... Uh, members of Comstar's intelligence service, ROM, with them during the schism, if I'm not mistaken. You know, so something like that, they could easily manipulate things via the HPG network, putting out sorts of false information and propaganda that would sway the public in ways that they want them to, much like how Comstar did, but something that's more in the extremist view of what Blake wants to achieve, which, you know, could be a caliphate or a legitimacy of you know their beliefs and things it really could depend or it could just be some sort of they just turn into some sort of death cult at a certain point but just the idea of i, I think that the big thing about comstar that is interesting is their way to manipulate things behind the scenes and i think something like the word of blake as a sort of extremist element of that i think that could be very interesting for a setting for BattleTech. Um, I think that them, you know, not to get too into it, but just the manipulation of the news and information throughout the inner sphere in parallels of our own world, I think would be an interesting uh, sort of way to spin the word of Blake. Not as an open, hostile terrorist organization, not turning fucking Cobra with it, but, you know, something that's more subtle than that, sort of a conspiracy that is behind the scenes. I do wonder what they could achieve, you know, if they were, um, if if they were completely under underground, like in 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 cells attached to every HPG uh, station in all of the inner sphere. Like if they if they were to, if they were able to 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 change every bit of information that passes through every HPG station, and to basically subtly influence um, all the data. Uh, that gets transmitted through the, the network and making, I don't know, inf inf influencing politics that way. But but nobody can ever de detect it because it's been done in at such a low level. You know. Uh, yeah. Just I'm not sure if I'm uh, <laughs> explaining no, it correctly. What you're saying, it's kind of like what um, the algorithms do on some of your social media yeah. platforms. Yeah. It, you know, if you control the algorithm, you get to decide what ads and what information things are getting shared, what's getting to the front page, so you can control the the overall narrative and message. And that 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 is very interesting. That's that is a a sort of a shadow, a sh almost like a shadow government working behind the scenes to get the message and the ideals of what it wants. Mm -hmm. um, very to... much an Illuminati type. Uh, yeah. Area. Yeah. Yeah, now that's that's very interesting, Crispy. I like. Yeah, that. they wouldn't need to black out the HPG network because that's their most powerful weapon is information. Right, they are. The as as BattleTech has said, information is ammunition. So something like that, they could really do a lot of damage with the information that they gather. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if they're posted up at every HPG station, it'd be really easy to find. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you you just, like, you're driving down to the HPG to send somebody a message off on Tharcat or whatever, and you're just like, oh, well, there's the, the word of Blake's camp over there. We should no, probably throw even, a rock. No, they wouldn't even camp. be open. They wouldn't be out in the open at all. They would just blend in with the local, the populace. You wouldn't be able to know who's in the word of Blake. It'd be like how Hydra infiltrated Shield. Nobody yeah. knew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 would still be outwardly comster. You know, they they just be, you know, secret, secret handshake or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they they wouldn't necessarily. They, they they I mean they could split off from Comstar itself, but maybe they could even just stay in the organization as sort of a secret cabal almost. Yeah, that, that's that's that that was because they still have access to Comstar's resources then, but then they're more underground with it, you know. Yep. yep. And they can slowly begin to in, slowly infiltrate and change and and you know like Palpatine slowly work themselves to the point where they're ready to make the move where they do seize control over everything. They do finally reveal themselves. It's very possible. Yeah. I mean, think think about how much blackmail you could put off, put out there if you're Word of Blake or. Uh, Comstar, because you know everything. You know everybody's information. So, like, you could blackmail anyone. Comstar already does that. <laughs> right. But just, I mean, just think about it. Oh, but, think, but if you're Word of Blake, then you have the religious and uh, the moral uh, principle that what you're doing yeah. is the right thing. So you have, the, you, you have no reason to hold back. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That- this this whole concept makes for a really really interesting uh like spy thriller TV show, and I kind of want to see somebody make that now. Yeah, just a sort of a cloak and dagger operation of espionage in the inner yeah. sphere. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, something yeah. like uh like uh Fletch MacGuffin, Agent of Rom. <laughs> I like that, Agent of Rom. Uh, so funny to me that nobody knows what ROM actually stands for. It's been lost to time. How much dedicated ROM does it take to run the inner sphere? Yeah. As many licks as it takes to get the center of a Tootsie Roll pop. <laughs> or like uh, the man from Uncle, but in Battletech. That that'd be funny. Why don't we we should have more Battletech TV shows? I, I yeah. have had the idea for years that you could do basically like you could set a show in the chaos march right where you've got these all these little minor house lords all trying to jockey for position and power um and like with with the greater you know events outside of their control shaping the world around them and you could have like this young uh, upcoming noble trying you know being taken on as a men- uh, to be mentored by this like older um you know well seasoned but now disgraced uh, former lord and you know, and how they navigate it. You know, we could call it literally. You could call it chaos, the Chaos March, and it could basically be like Game of Thrones in space. Hmm. You know what I want to see? I want to see an uh, animated Mega Warrior series, but it's basically Mega's XLR, but with Battle Mechs. <laughs> was, wasn't that pretty much what they did with the BattleTech t- cartoon? I mean, it was definitely it's a product of the '80s, so yeah. Oh yeah, it, it was it something. Is. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Mobile yes. <laughs> it's it is definitely eminently memeable. Oh, oh yes, yeah. it is. I've I've actually watched half decent. I like it. 
I dig it. Yeah, it's an interesting show. Oh yeah. So Maestro, what is uh what is your idea? <laughs> okay. Let me open my uh, notes here. Oh my, he took notes. <laughs> I took like 10 minutes to write something down. So a little bit of history. In, in 1524, there was a uh, peasant up uprising in, uh, in uh, most of uh, southern Germany, uh, all the way up to uh, Austria. And it was kind of a peasant's up uprising. They rose up against their feudal structures and their lords, demanding fairer tax taxation, fairer exchange of goods, lands, and what's to be returned to the com community, you know, because nobles back then went and just, you know, as my woods now, you don't hunt here anymore. And so, um, yeah, they had this whole, you know, war on uh, multiple, um, in multiple locations. Uh, and they actually went ahead and, um, had you know 12 articles that they declared how they wanted to be to be to be treated um it was all brutally put down of course because 1524 um but my idea is um if you look at the battletech uh universe we have um you know six seven major houses shit ton of minor houses but still the galaxy is let's say 95 percent peasants and you know just normal people so what if um what if we had an uprising on one planet for for starters just just one and this uprising had like one very charismatic leader who also did these uh de declarations that he that he wanted the nobles to abide by to make you know the peasants lives better um now they they would put down that rebellion very quickly maybe with bombardment from orbit as you do but um, this very charismatic leader, you know, put out some some recordings, some videos, some pamphlets, and they got spread all over the inner sphere. And that got lapped up by the peasants on other worlds. But, well, you know, after that up uprising got put down, um, what if all over the inner sphere, on every world, um, rebellion would ferment, for ferment, whatever, um, across, like, 10 20 years this would have to be pre-clan because it's simpler but yeah so all these peasant cells you know they they prepare by getting supplies by getting weapons by stashing them by waiting for the perfect opportunity to unleash rebellion across let's say 70 50 to 70 percent of say davion planets so now you have rebellion on most of davion territory uh you know you you as a davion ruler you need to put down these rebellions you need most of your army and maybe bankrupt your state by hiring most of the merc mercenary companies because there are so many uprisings you can't do that because as soon as you mobilize all your forces to put down revolts on your planets liao uh you know walks in because your borders aren't defended anymore and what if this what if this spreads like how what if the people of the inner sphere just dismantle the noble houses everywhere. Well, I, I like the idea. It's now, I, th idea. I, think, I think what you just said in the beginning of what happened on the original planet is pretty much how most of them are going to handle it. As soon as it gets started, they're just going to nuke the planet from orbit and be like, well, that's the end of that. So let's, yep. <laughs> let's just ignore that and, and say, all right, well, let's, how could it happen still? How could they successfully do it? Because obviously you're talking dozens of people against, I mean, hundreds or thousands of people against a single battle mech. 
Yeah, they they would they would have to arm their tractors. They would have to arm their everything. Yes, they would have like the idea of them driving their tractors against Battle Max. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, put put an Inferno launcher on a tractor. It still burns the battle mech, you know. You might die, but if you run into that, yeah, you run into that that uh, battle mech's leg hard enough and fast enough with your tractor, you're probably going to knock it over. And once mm-hmm. it's down, I mean, I, yeah. I, I can imagine them setting up traps, digging trenches, uh, kind of like what the kind of like what the Ewoks did on Indoor. Oh my uh, but, god! But, but just think about that. Like you go in to put down rebellion in a city, and the entire city has been turned into a uh, a death trap for all the mechs around it, right? Yep, kind of what Comsa did on Tukait. Yeah, like you, you, you're going down an alley, and suddenly the giant, you know, rocks and air conditioners and refrigerators are being thrown off the tops of buildings into your uh, down onto your mechs. Government get out, Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's really interesting. You know, all the improvised bombs, you know, coming up with homemade incendiary devices to burn you out of your mechs. Oh yeah, yeah. there's a white and- versus the cockpit. I mean, on, on, on most worlds, it would be possible to, to improvise a b- bunch of weapons. You know, most manufacturing worlds will probably have access to ex- ex- explosives or... Maybe not or so much in compelling space. Maybe not so much. And all the while, you know, Canopus is down there going, what the fuck's happening up there? I don't think they care. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they, they will still wonder. Oh, yeah. Although, the one problem you would have with that plan is... A, how do you organize all of this with the HBG? Yeah. And B, how do you keep Comstar from knowing? Which that's that's a good point. Good yeah. luck. Yeah, I think that's you where... would have to travel a lot. You would you probably have to have. Uh, yeah, you you you'd have to do it by word of mouth by basically traveling from planet to planet, which mm-hmm. turns this into not ten to twenty years, but fifty to hundred years of preparation. Well, you could potentially. You would see there. Even with Comstar, there could still be a dissemination of, I mean, you're still going to report on it, probably. So people are still going to be aware that these rebellions are going on. And people oh, yeah. are going to know people people on nearby planets and stuff and say, hey, I've got a cousin that was there. That's not what really happened or what have you. The word eventually would get out. Um, but it is interesting to think because, but Comstar would probably step in even more so than the Great Houses to help squash this because they're going to be just as at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a thought. Mm-hmm. What if this whole thing was fermented by the bleakest cells inside of Comstar, mixing my idea in with um Maestro, with Maestro's? Now we're rebelling with gasoline. Yeah. yeah so, there we go. So, so the Blake so the word of Blake uh incels within Comstar have been setting things up to create mm-hmm. open rebellion on all as many worlds as they can to be going off all at once so that all the house lords are so distracted word of break Blake can rise up seize control of the HPG network and there thereby um asserting their will and dominance uh across the entire inner sphere see mm-hmm. this is this actually makes more sense than what actually happened in the GR. I agree I hope I agree <laughs> Now somebody just needs to write it. Yeah. Uh yeah. crispy. <laughs> oh fuck. Stack pole. I'll take stack pole. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely take stack pole. I would I just to name drop my right now favorite author, I would take um 
Yeah, I forgot his name. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> One second, please. Let me let me get out of this. Yeah, uh, my favorite author. Of, what was it? <laughs> oh, there we go. I Craig love him so much. I can't remember his name. Dude, um, it's like it's two a.m. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> fine. Yes, we we do appreciate your 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 uh your commitment to being on time zone wise. Thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so Craig Allenson, he 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 writes funny. That, that, I, I can see a, like a series of books with that story being, being just really compelling. The drama, the yeah, the, more like a kind of like a a, um, a, a like a spy a conspiracy type story. Um, not yes. necessarily not the comet. It's all that stuff. That could be very interesting. Very much a behind the scenes um, shadow war, you could say. Yeah. Oh yeah, kind of like a Jack Ryan type thing. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome. Interesting. Was okay. it that 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 author? Um, uh, guy got gets tagged on uh, any Ubisoft game that's somewhat tactical. What's what's his name again? I forget. Tom um, yeah, Tom 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 Clancy's uh, BattleTech Insurrection. Tom Clancy's, yeah. <laughs> Tom Clancy's back from the dead. Oh, is he dead? Oh, he's quite dead. Oh, okay. And he has. He prob there are probably like tens of writers that. Well, you know, hey, right? His um, stuff. Uh, shoot, what's his name? Uh huh. All right, now I'm beginning one of my favorite authors. Damn. Well, <laughs> all right, we'll just we'll just move on. Um, so I fair warning. I pre war I pre warned the uh, the the guys on the pod, if dear listeners. But um, when I get an idea in my head that I really get excited about. And particularly when it's, when it's a setting like Star Wars or Battletech that I really love, um, I tend to overdo it and deep dive. So uh, I had an idea that I actually uh, queried someone whose opinion on it I really respect, uh, Tex, and he responded with just a very short comment about what he thought, you know, the this would turn out as or how this would go. So I ruminated on that for about a week, and then I greatly, greatly expanded upon it uh, to think this is how this would have gone down. Understand, before any battle tech nerds, before I start this, this is revised alternate history of a fictional setting. Okay, none of this was real. I do play a little loose with some of the accepted lore and timeline. Um, also, I am not great with different names and in pronunciations. So if I butcher something, you're please forgive me. Um, so, uh, oh, and um, my idea has a forward. And then once I'm done with the forward, I will present my, uh, my idea as far as a name, and then I will go and explain how it happens. All right. All week he's been, he's been talking to me about this. Ollie. <laughs> so, do it. Our, 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 oh, and I'm only going to go about 75% through it, and then I'll come to a stopping point, and you can decide if I've, if I've tired you out or if you want me to finish. So, okay. The end of the Amera Civil War left much of the galaxy in ruin, the Star League in shambles, and the position of First Lord empty. For three years, the leaders of the Great Houses argued and squabbled, each convinced that they should ascend to rule the galaxy. 
Finally, in August of 2781, the High Council announced that due to their inability to come to an agreement of who, whoever would succeed the usurper, they would be dissolving the Star League. Alexander Kerensky, commanding general of the Star League Defense Force and the man who had almost single-handedly held the galaxy together, was facing the reality that the countless battles he had waged and the effort to uphold the ideals of Star League had been in vain. While partly brokenhearted, the legendary but still determined leader spent the next two years tirelessly trying to convince each of the great lords to reconsider and reinstate the League, but time and time again, he was ignored. In November of 2783, Kerensky met with the recently appointed Minister of Communications, Jerome Blake, and discussed with him his fear of this terrible galaxy-wide war that was inevitably coming. He confided with Blake that he did not wish to be a part of said war or stand by and watch his loyal but war-weary troops pulled into it as well. He explained his plan to avoid the coming conflict and how he would need Blake's help to accomplish it, taking time to consider what he had just been told. Blake agreed to keep the information in confidence and to help the great man with his plan. A month later, the great houses began to pick apart the remains of the SLDF as they built up their own armies with eyes on conquering and assimilating the highly industrialized and technologically advanced worlds of the now fallen Terran hegemony. When Kerensky strongly objected to these actions, they stripped him of his duties as commending general and dismissed him. It was at this time that he had become convinced that he needed to act. On February 14, 2784, Kerensky gathered the SLDF High Command and 200 of its highest-ranking officers in an abandoned warehouse on Terra. There, in an impassioned speech, he laid out his plan and asked them if they would follow him in executing it. With an overwhelming majority, he was given the affirmative and thus began the single largest clandestine military redeployment in human history. Preparations began immediately as damaged warships were hastily repaired and refueled. All commercially available dropships, cargo shuttles, and ammunition stores were bought up along with any available ground vehicles and artillery. All across the inner sphere, SLDF bases were emptied and every available item scrounged. If it could be used to support or make war, it was driven, flown, loaded, stripped, or scuttled. Kerensky further convinced Blake to help hide these activities by manipulating the HBD network so that reports of these actions were either never received or strategic temporary outages allowed them to stay out of the direct eye of the House Lords and their armies. Finally, on the 7th of July, 2784, Kerensky gave the one-word order, Garrison, and all the SLDF ships that had been gathering at various points around the Inosphere made the jump. To Terra. So, what if the exodus never happened? Overnight, yeah. the jumpships of the SLDF filled the space surrounding Terra and its immediate neighbors. Kerensky knew that he couldn't defend the entirety of the hegemony space, so he concentrated his thousands of warships across the area that made up the inner core of the former seat of House Cameron. Massive fleets coalesced around all known jump points, while dropships landed and went to work setting up military headquarters and barracks across every world. Within 48 hours, the SLDF had occupied every major world and jump point within three weeks' travel of Terra, turning the planet and the area space around it effectively into a fortress. The SLDF had denied the Great Houses that which they intended to use to bring about their Great War, and they had done it without a single shot fired. With this accomplished, Kerensky and his inner circle of command 
staff went straight to the Hilton Head HBC facility where he and Jerome Blake broadcast a message across the entire network. Now, please forgive me because I cannot do a good Russian accent. Uh, so just bear with me. People of the inner sphere, I, General Alexander Kerensky, in direct defiance of the mandate given to me by the lords of House Lao, Karita, Steiner, Merrick, and Davian, have ordered the Star League Defense Force to seize and occupy Terra and the area of space surrounding it. I have done this not as an act of treason, but as a last-ditch attempt at avoiding a cataclysm that the House Lords are intent on manifesting. The SLDS has fought for years to preserve the very ideas that those same Lords now willingly and selfishly abandon in their quest for personal power, and we will not be a part of this self-made war. Today, I declare the creation of the Terran Defense Corridor, a neutral and self-governing principality. Further, I demand the Great Houses recognize our sovereignty and order their armies to refrain from attempting any incursions into our territory. Any attempt at invasion or trespass will be met with the full might and force of the Star League Defense Force with no considerations given. It was at this point the general paused and stared intently for several seconds at the camera as if to say to each of the House Lords, try me. The screen then shifted to Jerome Blake, who announced his intention to maintain the HPG network separate and independent of the SLDF or any other entity. He would then rebrand the communications division as Comstar and promise to support and maintain all HPG centers galaxy-wide without interruption, provided there was no interference from the Great Houses. Any world who could not abide by this would be cut off from the HPG network, thereby isolating it from the rest of its nation and the galaxy. With his part said, Blake ceded again to Kerensky. It is my hope that our words today will be heard and the resolve of our actions respected. You may brand me a traitor or a tyrant, and it is possible I am both. But I know in my heart Everything I've done was in service to the greater good and the principles of fairness and freedom. I set out to save the Star League and failed, but with this last act, I endeavor to preserve whatever remains of it so that one day it might live again. The Lords of the Great Houses were furious and of course immediately branded Kerensky and the SLDF traitors. Ordering all their warships to the edge of the former hegemony, the house forces stopped just short of crossing into the area for fear of Kerensky's threatened response. Though still only about three-fifths of its prior strength, the SLDF Navy was still larger and more powerful than any of that of the Great Houses, and possibly even if they were to all be combined. If anyone were to successfully penetrate what would go on to become known as the Kerensky Line, they would still have to face off with ground forces which were well dug in, considerably better armed with superior weapons and technology, and with far, far greater numbers than their own. In short, it would be suicide. And so they held, each of the House Lords and their fledgling militaries posturing and saber-rattling as they waited to see who would dare risk the first advance. For nine long months, the standoff continued. Until, that is, one of them decided they were willing to call Kerensky's bluff. On the 30th of April, 2785, by the direct orders of the Chancellor himself, a team of death commandos raided the main HPG complex on Tikhonov, while at the same time an armada of CCN ships carrying a sizable force 
of CCAF troops used a pirate jump point just outside of the SLDF headquarters planet on terra firma. The intent was obvious. Give Kerensky and the SLDF a bloody nose and prove that they weren't invincible while also gaining the prestige of being the first house to stand up to this rogue military leader. While the attack on the Tikhonov HPG Center ultimately succeeded, giving the Confederation control of the facility, the attempted raid on terra firma did not. To say that it was over before it began would be an apt description, but one that would also be inadequate in conveying the breadth of its complete failure. The SLDF defenders, veterans of decades of war, burned the Capellan ships down as fast as they entered weapons range. In only a couple of hours, the entire armada was reduced to husks of broken and twisted metal with the CCAF ground forces never even getting a single dropship close to terra firma's atmosphere. In all, the Capellan gamble had cost them a full third of their navy and six regiments of their best ground forces. But the worst was yet to come. The retaliation from the Starley Defense Force for violating the TDC border was both swift, brutal, and watched in fearful awe by the entire inner sphere. You see, Kerensky had realized that the House Lord's lust for power could not be assuaged by mere words, nor would the horrors of war on planets tens of light years away stay their hand. He would have to show them. So he brought war directly to their palaces and the homes of their people. The general bade Blake to leave the Capellan HPG network up and then live-streamed the entire counteroffensive against the Confederation. The galaxy looked on as the FLDF struck out from terra firma and obliterated all targets of military and industrial value on Lao. They continued their blitzkrieg to Gansing, Dix, Palos, and then Sakhalin. The Capellans were virtually powerless to defend themselves as the SLDF attacked, obliterated, and moved on. By the time Kerensky called off his avenging force, the Confederation's industrial and military capabilities had been set back by more than a decade. More importantly, however, he and the SLDF had shown all the houses what awaited them if they attempted an incursion into the TDC. To add insult to injury, once the last SLDF ship had left Capellan's base, Blake remotely shut down all of the remaining Confederation HPG generators, plunging the entire nation into a communications blackout. What happened next may never be fully understood by those from the outside, but what is known is that the CCAF had decided they had had enough and rose up against the leadership of House Lao in a military coup. For two years, a civil war was fought all over the Confederation until a ceasefire was called on the 3rd of June, 2787. In the end, Cyan would be in the hands of the CCAF, who would form a new authoritarian government much like the old, under the name of the Capellan Union. The remains of the old Confederation relocated to St. Ives, reorganizing into the Capellan Republic. The smallest of the great houses, Leal, was for the most part now gone and its nation divided down the middle into two even smaller ones who would exist in a state of perpetual cold hatred, barely bridled hostility towards each other. As the Capellan Civil War wound down, the other houses claimed some of its border worlds for themselves, further weakening their much-diminished realm. From that day on, 
anytime someone took a big gamble and lost, it would be referred to as paying the Capellan price. While the Capellans were busy running around in the dark trying to blow each other up, the rest of the gatehouses were a bit of a loss on what to do next. On one hand, they really wanted to go kick Kerensky off Terra and take all the former uh, hegemony worlds for themselves, but they also really wanted to beat the ever-loving crap out of their neighbors and take their worlds too. The problem was, they only had the ships, men, or the mechs to do one, namely being go fuck their neighbors over. But they needed those same ships, men, and mechs on the TDC border to guard their own territory with each of the four houses scrambling to put as much of their technological know-how as they could muster behind catching up to the SLDF, while also simultaneously trying to ramp up industrial production to bolster their armies and navies, none of them really had the time nor the resources to conduct a full-scale war against one another. That's not to say that battles weren't fought and worlds didn't change hands. It's just that none of the great lords or ladies were willing to commit to all-out warfare against one another and put themselves at risk for invasion. So they sat, they prepared, and they plotted for 150 years. Back in 2787, with the Capellans dealt with and the other house lords seeming to get the message, Kerensky set about the task of establishing a government to manage his t new TDC. He allowed local and planetary governors to main their positions while overlaying the SLDF command structure to oversee things. He assigned the five most senior officers of the high command to a council of stewards, who would oversee the day-to-day -day operating of the corridor and its future. Instead of installing himself as head of state, however, for reasons both personal and political, Kerensky asked his long-loyal second-in-command, Aaron de Chavier, to take the role of Warden General, while he himself stepped back from the spotlight. Over the next three years, de Chavier reorganized the SLDF into a new fighting force that better fit the defensive situation they now faced. Rationalizing that the Great Houses would not hold back attempting to invade them forever, he nationalized all the major military industries, especially those tied to warship and jumpship construction, and set them to designing and churning out new ships to bolster their defense fleet. He established recruitment and training centers on every world and built the Kerensky Military Academy in Moscow, where the next generation of leaders would be educated and prepared to take the place of their forebearers. While this was going on, Jerome Brake went out the business of repairing and expanding the HPG network as much as he could. Paramount's to his effort was his conviction that the information and knowledge should be made available to everyone. To that end, he established the Intersphere News Network, or ISNN, to broadcast up-to-date, truthful, and unbiased reporting on the goings-on around the galaxy. He also formed the Comstar Institute, which provided free remote learning courses to anyone who desired higher education. He established the Comstar Codex, a catalog containing the complete literary works of all of human history available to anyone who could access a compad. He also attempted to form a galactic bank so that there could be one universal currency, but the House Lord stringently pushed back on this idea, not wanting to give Blake, and by extension in their eyes, the SLDF, any more sway or control over their affairs. However, his commitment to trying to bridge the gap between worlds with information and knowledge did have the effect of raising the overall level of civility the people of the differing nations felt towards one another. Though this was not an end to the xenophobia or suspicion the average citizen had of their counterparts in other worlds, they did at least begin to see them as people like themselves, which caused the theology of we should kill them because they aren't like us 
to begin to fade from the common zeitgeist. With Kerensky's death in 2804 and Blake's 15 years later, the two architects of the Terran Defense Corridor and the tentative armistice that had lasted for over a quarter century were gone. Gone too was de Chavier and all the original SLDF commanders or anyone who had actually ever known them. After a time, the position of Warden General passed to Stella Hardwick May. She had risen up the ranks of the Terran Defense Corridor Armed Forces, not in a combat role, but on the administrative and logistics side. She was intelligent, shrewd, and ambitious. She went about reorganizing the TDCAF and that of Comstar into a single unified government in 2870. Renaming the new nation state the ComGuard Military District, she forged ahead with an aggressive expansion of the HPG network in order to connect more and more worlds, including the periphery. This does not go down well with the House Lords, but as they too now had been replaced by a new generation of leaders who had been born and raised under this arrangement, there was little resistance put up over the matter. In fact, most of them had spent the last several decades investing in developing their own methods of interstellar communications and were well on the path to someday being able to unshackle themselves from Comstar altogether. This time of relatively little bloodshed became known as the Great Stalemate, as all the major players researched, built, improved, and expanded their armies and navies for the day when hostilities would inevitably resume. For the next 45 years, things pretty much stayed the same. Breakthroughs in jump ship design meant warships could be brought farther in a single jump than ever before, while recharging even quicker than before. Advances in battle mech technology were churning out designs that meant faster and had weapons more accurate than anything seen before. The House Lords soon found a renewed swagger, and the old urges of conquest began to run hot in their blood. Skirmishes on long-disputed worlds began to grow into planetary invasions. As more ships and mechs were shifted to the fronts, the territorial boundaries of every house threatened to erupt into full conflict. Then, just as it seemed that all-out warfare was poised to spread across the galaxy for the first time in over a century, something happened that caused the drum beats to pause for a moment. Something that distracted the house lords from trying to destroy each other. Something that made them all lean forward in their thrones in interest. Something on Terra. Now, do you want me to finish? Because I've got, I've got about another five minutes. What, what well. question is this? I need to know. Go ahead. Okay. In the 150 years or so of its existence, as the Terran Defense Corridor and now the Comguard Military District, one thing had been an unassailable and comforting constant. Despite their diminutive size, the technological advantages and military superiority they held over the rest of the Inosphere would ensure that they would never have to live their lives looking over their shoulder. They could hold out or repel anything but the possible combined forces of all the great houses and the likelihood of such a thing was so remote that it wasn't considered a credible possibility. So it was in this certainty and security that eventually that most insidious of all the societal and nation-killing viruses began to spread like a slow-moving pandemic. Complacency. For many years, the control on most industries that the Chavier had put in place to help the fledgling corridor had slowly been loosened in order to expand its economy and allow more trade. And it was in this political environment 
that newly appointed Warden General Lyle Wagner announced that one of its smaller shipyards would be given over to a corporate alliance and allowed to begin producing ships for sale on the interstellar markets. This was not a development that meant that many in the CMDAF were happy about. Chief among them, the second in command of the District Navy, Admiral Terence Seth. Seth was a hardliner who was against anything that didn't serve to strengthen the District Armed Forces. He had grown up, like many children in the CMD, to be raised on the tales of the General Alexander Kerensky and his crusade to save the galaxy from itself. So deeply did this hero worship of the great general uh, permeate the culture that in some military circles it had achieved cult-like status. Seth was one of those who had admiration of the man and his deeds was such that it might be described as fanatical. For years he had watched as the district armed forces leadership had softened and its vigilance had waned, and he was disgusted by what he saw as a dereliction of duty and an abandonment of the vision the great Kerensky had fought so hard for. Gathering other like-minded people in the armed forces, they began a movement to stop the gutting of the very principles that they had been founded on. For several years they plotted and maneuvered those loyal to their goals into high-ranking positions. Then, taking a page from his idol's playbook, Seth and his followers instigated a mass mutiny. All across the CMD, crewmen and officers aligned with Seth took control of hundreds of vessels and jumped them to Terra. To cover their treason, several bombs were planted across the HBG network that were meant to disable the net until they had secured the planet. There, they would announce their intentions to force the removal of the entire Council of Stewards and Warden General Wagner. Then, they would elect a new leadership who could uphold the ideals of their savior general. However, Admiral Seth was no Alexander Kerensky, and his plan went sideways immediately when most of the bombs failed to disable their HPG targets, allowing the district's armed forces to immediately spring into action to stop them. Kerensky had taken Terra and the core hegemony worlds without a shot fired or any loss of life. Seth's misguided attempt at a similar feat plunged district armed forces into a bloody and brutal slugfest where evenly matched forces beat mercilessly against each other until neither side could continue. Within 36 hours, a full third of the fleet had been destroyed or disabled and another third damaged and withdrawing. The bulk of Sith's forces had made it to terra firma, but were trapped in orbit and had no way of making landfall nor of getting away to a jump point. The district armed forces leaders who were not currently engaged with Admiral Seth's traitors were unable to be sure if they could trust the orders they received further, leading to the turmoil and confusion. In a few days, the entire district was in chaos and no one was sure what to do next. So it is in this moment that we find ourselves now. The great houses, who up to this point were all poised to go to war with one another, now turning their eyes to the previously invincible nation-state made vulnerable by its own hands. Who will be the first to strike out at their now distracted neighbor? Who will seek to take advantage of the fog of war and attempt to conquer district worlds? And will this set off a bloody race to be the first one who can take Terra and lay claim to the, being the first among equals? I like your words, Magic Man. Uh -huh. I love that. Agreed. That, that is awesome. Uh, so I'm sorry if I butchered some worlds and some names, but I just, 
my whole concept is let's just get rid of the clans. Let's just not have it. Let's just kill the clans in the cradle. So instead, let's just, you know, basically in my idea was uh, create this little micro state in the center and make it impenetrable so that nobody's going to be willing to mess with it. And then by, by extension, since everybody's so scared of that, you prevented all the succession wars. You prevented the bombing themselves back into, into a, essentially a dark age of technology. So you prevented all the lost tech, you know, and in the, but of course that's not sustainable because man's going to be man. And so as soon as the opportunity provides all of the, you know, all the, uh, the other houses are poised around, you know, Terra. And so now instead of clans all racing to become who gets to, it's the great houses all racing to see which one can conquer Terra. That's to say, even if they could conquer Terra, because who's to say yeah. that the, uh, they won't rally the. Uh... Well, that's, see, I was trying to come up with an idea of what would, what could split the forces, you know, what could, because my original idea was like, you know, all the loyal people loyal to Comstar eventually would, you know, like like you were talking about, would kind of stay underground and eventually they would create a schism where like they took down the network and revolted. But I thought that was dumb because by the time they integrate, it's been decades and they'd already integrated them all into the into this into one government. So they were yeah. all the same. But I figured it had to be somebody who who worshipped Kerensky so much that they thought that they could be Kerensky, you know, and out Kerensky Kerensky, but then of course bungle it. So it had to be some from, someone from the inside that had to essentially make them vulnerable. Yeah, I d no, I, I really like the idea. Just the idea of uh, the the hero worship of Kerensky still coming into play, but not in the yeah. way that it does with the clans. Right. Because I can sort of see that being the sway of people. You know, even in our modern day, there's people that are swayed by those sort of romantic views of the past of certain individuals that it leads them to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, the most implausible part of the whole idea is that Kerensky would go against, would do anything that would be considered traitorous. Um, you know, a, a, in the Exodus, he's essentially just saying, "I'm take, we're going to take our toys and leave. Whereas this is him basically saying, we're going to take our toys and, and if you're going to try to take them back, we're going to fight you. Um, but, you know, I was willing to play with it. No, oh, yeah. Could, Thank I, you for I, indulging I see me. It happen. I only have one criticism. This means we don't get uh, big, beefy Amazon uh, Elemental waifus. <laughs> what did I tell you? This was gonna. I told you this was gonna save Tex a ton of alimony. <laughs> <laughs> and an arm. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I really, I really like it, man. It's uh, and you know that's something I've often wondered too. Is like, what happened if Kerensky didn't leave the Inner Sphere? You know. Right. I think it's uh, interesting. What if to look at? Oh, yeah. So one okay. one one question I I do have, yeah. Um, so the uh, ex explain again the government structure. Um, okay, when when Kerensky established the Terran Defense Corridor, um, it is a essentially a bunch of war, it's not a it's not a huge area. It's it's, it's Terra and it's like a few dozen you know like maybe a dozen or more planets just outside of Terra. So it's a slightly <laughs> smaller hegemony then. It's, yeah, it's much smaller. Like the hegemony was basically like a core with four districts around it. So it's basically just a little bit bigger than the original core of the hegemony. Okay. Right? Because they couldn't defend the whole thing. There was, they, that's too much space. So essentially, it was kind of like the Genghis Khan thing. All right, whoever's in charge already, you're still in charge, but you just report to us. 
Gotcha. It's effectively right. what happened. So, you know, whatever planetary government structure still existed, it's just then um, they would have a SLDF kernel or whatever would be, or gen, maybe it's a, a lower level general or would be, uh, or, or whatever would be over um, that planet to, you know, oversee whatever. And then, like I said, it all, it all followed this, the standard military structure. I mean, you start, you could be both in the military and it was, it was military and government all at the same time. So you would join the military and you could work your way up. Eventually you could get one of these appointments. You might stay at, you might stay in an active combat appointment, but you might get one of these government appointments or you gotcha. might, you could shift between the two. And above all, above all of that, was once you ranked up far enough, you could essentially rank up into this five-member council of stewards that were overseeing the whole thing. And then the chief among, and then the council of stewards would usually, I would assume from their ranks, would elect the warden general who would be, you know, that's the man who has the final say. This is the person who, who, who would kind of set the vision. And then when they finally stepped down or died or whatever, then they would elect a new warden general from the so it was all. It was just. It, it so it didn't follow like a like a typical dynasty type situation. It formed. It just followed a a, a pseudo democratic but military structure. Sounds a lot like uh, what the Prussians did. Um, to rise in the ranks of of, of politics, you'd have to first rise in, in the ranks of the military. Yeah. Um. Well, my my thinking was, um, if there are still you know local or so uh, politicians that report to a sort of military governor or someone like that. The, the thing about politicians is they are not military personnel. And the thing about mili mili military personnel is they are not politicians. Politicians can run circles around, you know, military personnel in the arena of politics. I'm thinking, what would that look like? Like, could... Could military governors like keep their politicians in check so you don't have rampant uh, corruption? It would have to be a system of checks and balances of some kind, I would imagine. Yeah. But I, I, I like the idea. I, I and you know, and that could be where you could find some, the interesting stories in the in the margins, mm -hmm. right? Of like, you know, maybe we do have this, you know, this great military structure that Kerensky, uh, you know, this new government that and micronation that Kerensky established. That seems to be following, for the most part, following in the ideas of the original Starley, but maybe at its core, it's just utterly corrupt. Absolutely. And 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 as it as it as it sounds like, um, all production is uh, heavily uh, nationalized as yes. as, as well. If, because if yes, yeah. the first thing they did was pretty much take nationalize all military industrial uh, operations, essentially to churn out more ships more mechs, more weapons to, you know, to upgrade the fleet because they had to, that was the only mean, the only means hmm. that the, that was the only reason that they were able to stave off the other Lords is because they started out at a position of advantage and they had to try to maintain that advantage. But then over, you know, 150 years, they, as, as things kind of calmed down, they kind of eased up on it, eased up, eased up. And that's where you started getting these people um, like Admiral Seth, who said, you know, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, we're, we're getting soft here. You know, we're opening ourselves up for attack. You know, any day now, you know, you know, the the dragon's going to come across the border and coming at us. And you know, we got to, you know, same thing. Hmm. We 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 same sort of uh, politics and, and 
stuff that we get now of people saying, you know, we need to pull back on any anytime someone talks about cutting back on any military spending, you have people that get really bent out of shape about that. So that was my idea of of how to create some sort of schism or uh, attempted coup. Because in Seth's mind, he wasn't really attempting a coup. What he was doing was essentially what Kerensky did of saying, all right, I'm going to use a, a method of military method of forcing a a uh, political change, so to speak. See, I like that because it's sort of almost like a unintentionally built-in uh, precedent that Kerensky made when he founded uh, the Corridor. Yeah. Because he put it in the minds of people of the ability to rise up and take charge if the government is not doing their job well, correctly. Right. You know, like ultimately, it's your job as a, it's your job if the ideals of, you know, uh, of truth and justice are being subverted and, you know, if, if if the if the betterment of the all is being threatened, then it's your job to be a traitor and force it to be changed. But all we tried is to sell some ships. <laughs> yeah. We just wanted money. <laughs> oh we no. Just wanted the money. Oh yeah. It's not about the money, it's about sending a message. There you go. Hey, with no guts, no galaxy, man. Yeah. I have to uh, just say my favorite part of this whole thing which I didn't even think about until about two o'clock today when I was already mostly through writing this was adding in that little bit at the end about any time someone gambled and lost uh, <laughs> being called paying the Capellan price. I do love that. Yeah. Because I instantly had the idea, how can I turn the Capellan Confederation essentially into North and South Korea? <laughs> uh, I see it now. I love it. As as I heard it described, no, yes, as I heard it described in a YouTube short that I watched, um, House Liao, it's basically think communist China, but somehow worse. <laughs> somehow. Yeah. Any other uh, ideas? Oh, oh other? Um, I just wanted to mention nice, nice uh, ISNN name drop there. Yes. Ah, uh, yes, I had to work <laughs> that in. I had to work that in, so I, I, I hope maybe uh, Ducks eventually, uh... hi Ducks, I hope if you're here. <laughs> I uh, I hope you uh, caught that too. Oh, that was my other idea. Instead of turning, instead of Comstar turning into more space AT and T, I wanted them to turn them more into space PBS. Oh, <laughs> that was, I had that the was, idea of Space Max Headroom, but that works too. I was trying to do space PBS slash space space uh, NPR. I just anyway. imagine, just I just imagine Jerome Blake, but it's Max Headroom. Just <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, 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 big fella. You know they they use they use they use BattleTech uh, in universe technology to keep him alive, like make him into it's sort of an imaging. animatronic. Yeah, it's enhanced imaging. <laughs> yeah, and they use the SLDF uh, drone ship AI technology to actually give him full sentience. <laughs> oh my God! So he's like Nixon from Futurama. Yes. Oh my God! What's my purpose? <laughs> <laughs> you read the you news the oh my god <laughs> please no my other idea is who is, is, is imagine bob ross on an internet uh, on an hpg network painting and said it's like oh we're gonna paint us a nice little uh battlefield today oh we got a little explosion over here oh well we'll just cover that up with some fire yes we will <laughs> no space bob ross painting minis 
That, oh, that there you go. Oh, there you go. Hmm. You want to have a happy little battle master? Oh yeah. Oops, oh, yeah. we broke the antenna off. Ah, it's no, it's no big deal. Look at this Ooh. little urban mech right here. Look at him, and he's so handsome with his little top hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Oh, Space Bob Ross. That's that's now. It's another thing I want to see. All right. Yeah. yeah. You want to be in the BattleTech universe? <laughs> any last thoughts? I think we'll call it here for tonight, guys. Unless you guys have any other final thoughts. I got nothing. Alrighty. Well, Maze, thank you for uh, Maze and Maestro. Thank you both for giving up sleep. And Maestro, thank you for uh, overcoming the uh, logistics of uh, multiple time zones. And 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 our, I think this might qualify as our first actual international pod. I believe. Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, if it does, right. then I'm glad I was here for it. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Glad to have you, man. Yep. All right. Well, hey, this has been the Ox Unplug. Thank you for listening. Oh. Those guys ramble a lot. They should do a podcast. Yeah. Well, pulling up the wall files. <laughs>